On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I had the absolute pleasure of talking with Devin O'Brien. Uh, Devin's from uh, multiple brands. He's had a big exit uh, in the direct-to-consumer space. He's actually been around in this space since 2011. He's been on Shopify since 2011. Really, really great conversation that we had. A lot of the conversation was actually around attribution, why you should not believe in platform attribution. And uh, honestly, it's the kind of conversation that could probably save you a lot of uh, heartache and a lot of money. <laughs> so I think you guys are really going to like this one. Today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand is brought to you by Mindful Marketing. At Mindful Marketing, they use ads to get you off using ads. Most e-commerce brands rely heavily on Facebook, Google, Snapchat, Twitter, and all the other paid platforms for the majority of their revenue. At Mindful Marketing, they use paid ads to help you build a community of loyal and repeat customers that will exist long after Facebook and Google do. In fact, Mindful Marketing wants to offer you a free e-commerce growth plan that they normally charge $500 for. A recent growth plan customer said, our ROAS tripled overnight after implementing their tactics. These guys are no joke at Mindful Marketing Co. So go to mindfulmarketing.co slash grow to claim your free e-commerce growth plan today. Now on to today's episode. Devin O'Brien, welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Thank you, Jordan. I am excited to be here with you and learn some things and share some ideas. I'm going to be the one that's learning, so uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. For people who don't know you in particular, can you give us a little bit of your history? Tell us who you are, uh, what you do, and, uh, and just I'm going to give uh, people a little teaser. Uh, Devin was on Shopify in 2011. I didn't even know Shopify existed in 2011. But uh, I mean, I do. I just didn't know at the time. <laughs> so go for it, Devin. Yeah, man, that's uh, exactly right. I launched my first brand. I had been actually a marketer at Target, launched a number of internal house brands there and kind of had the entrepreneurial bug and wanted to do my own thing. The tools were ready at my disposal. And I launched a company called Search and State. We did technical cycling apparel on Shopify uh, our launch was technically in 2012, but built everything in 2011. I ran that business for six years, exited, and have been with Asco Finlayson for the last two and a half. And we do technical winter outerwear. Yeah, man, I've been in this direct-to-consumer game for over a decade. Wow. Wow. I mean, there's probably not actually a ton of people out there who have been in D2C that long. <laughs> Like it's, it's so it's, it's one of those just like newer phenomenons, right? Like in, in the world, especially with Shopify coming in and making it so much easier for brands to grow, right? They don't have to like spend 300 grand coding some website or, you know, yeah. like, like it used to be back in the day. Super interesting. I, I mean, if you guys heard the name of the company, you'll know why I didn't introduce him as, you know, head of marketing and CMO there. Um, I got him to say it himself because uh, I get names wrong all the time. And it's it's one of my shticks. But uh, I've decided not to get the name wrong today. <laughs> get it right. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I, we've got some interesting things that I, I want to talk to you about today. Uh, I'm super excited actually to hear your growth in, you know, from 2012 to when you exited um, your first company. What were the, were there a couple things in there that, that you feel like you are now able to take over to the new company the, that you're now working for that really helped build that growth? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I mentioned this in our little preamble conversation, but if I can turn back the clock and be in 2012 again, knowing, you know, I think we got a lot of things right in terms of 
seeing a market opportunity, you know, delivering a great product, connecting with customers in a meaningful way, all the pieces of the puzzle that I, I see as sort of making a successful direct-to-consumer brand were in place at the time. And add on top of that, the potential value of digital advertising in those days was just cheaper, right? But we bootstrapped for the first three years pretty aggressively. And if I could roll back the clock, it, I would be much more aggressive earlier on because we had something good, but just being where I was at in my own learning and growth, it wasn't, uh, we definitely weren't aggressive enough. I would say we raised money our fourth year and kind of kept it going, but there was a real unique opportunity that we had. And when, like I said, when we launched, I mean, there was no, there was no one in the cycling space doing direct to consumer apparel like we were. And it was wide open and we didn't scale it fast enough. We weren't aggressive enough. And there definitely would have been paid opportunities at our disposal that we did not take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting too, because, you know, we think about, I, I, I've been having this discussion recently in British Columbia, where I am, housing has just been crazy for years. I mean, we're, we're getting up like Vancouver is, I think Vancouver is even more expensive than New York to live in. It's just one of those places like I'm in like the suburbs and houses are like 1.2 million out here, like um, just boxes. And yet you think when's the best time to buy, right? When's the, when's the best time to go in our Facebook ads right now, or is digital in general, you know, overinflated? I mean, I don't think so. I'm a huge buy and hold, right? And, and I think that, that now is still, there's still opportunity, right? Still massive opportunity comparatively to five years down the road where, you know, CPMs maybe double what they are right now. It's an interesting thing, right? We look, we look back and think those things, right? About 2012. And I'm sure we're going to look back to 2020 and 2021 and be like, that was the heyday, right? Do you remember when we could get purchases for 40 bucks on Facebook? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. And I think that's, I mean, probably one of the things because we weren't focusing on paid strategies, what I was intensely focused on in those years was building community and purpose around our brand and connecting with customers in a, in a much deeper way and building advocates and building community around the brand. And that's something we did really well. I'm super proud of it. And that is a piece I bring forward today mm. for sure, which is, I think, a, a critical element of a successful direct-to-consumer business and a scalable one is that you can't buy customers forever. It's yeah, eventually I there's totally going to be a threshold at which it gets too expensive. And advocacy and community, I think, are the key element to success. And if you were sort of like in the early stages and trying to think about what is my minimum viable product, how do I know if this thing has legs? It's not if you can, you know, build an attribution model uh, on the digital side and convert people. It's, I think, much more important to show signs of community and advocacy and build on that. Let's talk like tactically what that looks like, Devin, because we, we talk about community all the time. I mean, you even heard the preamble from our agency, right? Like we really do believe that that is the way to build a sustainable business. Like I, I am so with you on this, but to talk tactics. What has worked for you guys at your previous company and now the company that you're at yeah. um, as far as building that community and, and really making them sort of like raving fans of yours? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's super helpful. I was doing this exercise with a, with another startup I'm, I'm helping right now, but um, just defining community, right? Like, what does that actually mean? When we say that, what is it? And I think it's helpful to, to do that. And for me, it means your customers talk to each other and mm. other people without yeah. you being part of the process. And, you know, that's a great definition, by the way, Devin, like that's absolutely like that really boils it just down. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you think about building community and what that means, I think a lot of people have fallen back on 
oh, we need a charitable angle or a give back. And, you know, there's a ton of companies that have a give back of some kind that don't have community. And I think it's much more about purpose and not necessarily the, the give or the donation. And that's a nice piece. It's a great starting point for a lot of companies. But, you know, what you are working in service of, I think, is what is going to be what community is built around. And there's and there's a million iterations of it. And you don't have to be a, you know, a, a B Corp or a, or a charitable business in any capacity to to achieve this, right? It could simply just be your products are are that meaningful to how your customers are are using them, right? I mean, we could rattle off a million examples, but you know, I, I look at we see this stuff most clearly, I think, in niche, niche little markets and industries. If you yeah. look at what's happening in the in the overland space right now in the outdoor world, like that is a community rich environment, people sharing their, their trucks and their vehicles and the modifications and the builds they're doing. And there's a lot of information being shared between customers. At Asco Finlayson, we are a climate focused business. So our, our mission is to fight climate change and our products are very much in alignment with that mission. I think that's another key piece to think about for mission-based companies is having it be something that's really kind of inherently related to your product in a meaningful capacity, right? We are a brand from the North, Minnesota. We make products for enjoying the cold winter that we love so much. And our mission is uh, as a climate positive business to invest in solutions to the climate crisis. So all of those things work together. And it's a, you know, it's an obvious choice for Northerners who care about climate change. Yeah. Yeah, totally. A quick aside. I think that people from Minnesota are the most closely culturally to Canadians. <laughs> Every time I'm just like, you're like a Canadian, you know, like you, you sort of talk like us, you know, like act like us a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, we certainly sound like Canadians. A lot of Minnesotans do. It depends like who I'm talking to, how bad that accent's going to get. But yeah, we're not far from Ontario and it's uh it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you don't have like the hardcore like Fargo accent, you know, like, but uh, yeah, it depends where I am. You know, if you you need to fit in, you can kind of turn it on if need be, you know. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So let's let's talk about the kinds of communities that you built, like in those communities, are people talking about like rallying around climate change in these communities? Or is it more just about the the product? And and you guys just happen to be doing good on on the backside of that. Like, I'd love to know what that community aspect sort of looks like. So yeah, that's a really good distinction. And I think it's sort of getting at like mission and commerce and where those two worlds intersect. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two pieces going on with our business. On one side, we are making investments in climate focused nonprofits. And to kind of do that work and be in that circle and be a credible player, you got to you gotta really know what you're talking about, have people on the team that are, you know, legitimate, authentic players in, the, in that space, right? And can you know, I, I think they just, the people in that world, to be credible, they want to know you understand and are committed to the mission and what's going on. Yeah. So building credibility within the climate world is super important for us as our brand. You know, to our customers are, you know, are they deeply engaging with us on climate? Some are, but I think most part, you know, a lot of people just understand that that's a commitment we've made and they value that, but they probably align a little more closely with us just on the brand values about the North celebrating the North and loving winter, you know, and then the protecting winter piece comes in on the mission side. But honestly, just both of those things are true, but I don't think we could have the customer community if it weren't for being 
authentic and incredible on the mission and charitable side of what we do as well. I like that. I like that. That's 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 interesting, right? Because you may not be pushing it within the community itself, but it's like that that authority piece, right? People are coming there be, because yeah. of that, or or potentially, right? It, it may be a, a small part of the customer journey that that they want to buy from a brand uh, like that. I got a question for you. Where are you housing these these communities, or where have you housed these communities in the past? For Asco Finlayson, I mean, I it's you know social networks, right? It's our social channels. We have a really strong email following, and we speak directly to our customers all the time. But you know, in terms of some other platform that we're leveraging, you know, it's just the standard channels. Instagram's probably number one for us in terms of the conversation and where our our customers sharing content. You know, our customers a little older than TikTok. They'll probably come around to it here in maybe the next three years or so. But yeah, honestly, it's just, I'd say Instagram and, and email is is the number one and number two channel. I don't want to discount though what happens in the real world and real life. Obviously, the last year has been really challenging. And honestly, sort of in real life, community building moments for us have been, you know, non-existent. I, I think we sort of try to have, encourage people to enjoy the outdoors and do things outside together, but separate. But Pre-COVID, we did a lot on, you know, community building around climate and climate activism, where we were providing opportunities for our customers to authentically participate and engage with us and engage in meaningful climate work. Um, One example was um, uh, Al Gore does a climate reality uh, leadership training, and they hosted a big one in Minneapolis. And that was something we just, you know, we were a sponsor of the event, but rather than kind of negotiate for as much brand exposure, we actually asked for tickets to the event and just made them available to our customers. So we provided an opportunity for our customers to engage with us, become educated, and honestly become climate activists. That's what we're you know, that's one of the things that we see moving the needle most on is is how can we be real climate advocates and be, bring more people into activism? So we do the in real life stuff, too. And I think that's super, super important. You know, you're not going to be able to scale it the way you can digital things. But I think that deep, intimate connection with people that, you know, is bringing together around a, a shared purpose and cause resonates out beyond anything you'll do digitally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I love that idea. Hey, let's talk uh, in-platform attribution for a minute here. It's interesting because I'm, first of all, transparency is just one of my core values. Like in, in every single business in my personal life, I just cannot help but be transparent. And it's interesting because in-platform attribution in my mind is is broken. But yet I'm an agency owner who, you know, we need to report to our clients that we're actually doing good work for them, right? And yet on the brand owner side, I'm like, yeah, I understand that like, so our, our three brands uh, that we kind of house on the same website, we had a return of ad on ad spend last year of uh, 10.5 altogether, spending about half a million dollars. And I just don't believe it. I just, of course, I don't believe it. I know that we didn't actually push a 10.5 return on ad spend. That's wonderful. We just happened to get in front of people at the certain, at the certain stage where then they went and made the purchase, right? And it wasn't necessarily because of social all the time. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to just just kind of open this up for a second. Like, what do you think about this? These in-platform attribution models. I would agree with you one hundred percent that this sort of, uh, I mean, candidly, it's they're they kind of bullshit. You know, I mean, yeah. and you know, I think it's an important thing that we all start talking about, right? And I'll just sort of, you know, say it myself, you know, it's it's very easy for marketers and founders and, you know, we want to represent ourselves well and show that we're successful or, you know, maybe you want to get that growth job at at a brand you love. We know the tricks to play. We know what you can say and show and demonstrate, but we've kind of created this monster ourselves. You know, I think the idea that, 
you know, you can buy customers to infinity uh, at a positive ROI is just is just patently false. But for some reason, investors, CEOs are all looking sort of for the next shiny thing and the person who can deliver this magical digital strategy that's just going to work every time, all the time. And honestly, we're probably the ones that are responsible for creating this idea that it that it is possible. So, you know, it's not that there's not value there. And I think that's an important thing to underscore is there's still there's still plenty of work to be done on the digital side. And it's, it's absolutely critical to a you know su- successful marketing strategy. But I think we all get a little lost in a sort of disproportionate attention can be placed on digital performance marketing and sort of at a, at a disadvantage of other of other things that that could be more important to the future value of your business. So yeah, I, I think it's just a very easy, it's very easy to cook the books. Let's just say that. And, <laughs> you know, the numbers Facebook spits out at you, you know, I, I think are the worst. I trust Google a little more, just, I don't know why I just do, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's very, it's very deceptive. I think what's going on there. It's like sort of, you know, playing the slot machine at the casino a little bit and you know, it's going to pay out every once in a while, but who knows really what the, you know, that, that algorithm at the end of the day, knows it's going to be profitable for, for Facebook, right? Of course. Of course. I mean, you know, Facebook's entire world is getting you to spend more money on Facebook, right? (laughs) So, so of course they're going to spit out results that look Absolutely phenomenal. I think it's great that they've moved down because of iOS 14, moving down to that seven-day click attribution, right? So, yep. so no longer can people report on 28-day click. I mean, you yeah. you can using third-party tools, but like it's now no longer within the platform, right? Now it's just seven-day click. So, well, seven-day click, one-day view. But it's interesting because you know we'll we'll run like a big launch, and all we'll have turned on is like retargeting, right? For for our our particular brand. And we'll look and it's like, oh, our return on ad spend was like 170 this day, right? right? But it's just because people, it got in front of people who were already going to purchase, right? That's the big differentiator that I want to try to get people at is why did somebody actually make that purchase? And that's why I love post-purchase surveys so much is just asking them and then, and then marrying that data over, right? So like, oh, you think you came from social? Cool. That's really good to know. Like our data actually tells us that you came that day through search. But like, but no, really social was the one that pushed them to make that purchase. They just happened to search and you had a a branded keyword. The data to me, it needs to be married with customer reported data uh, or else it just doesn't really like paint a full picture. And then sometimes we just have too much data to go off of, (laughs) right? (laughs) No, I mean, it's, I I feel like in a way it's sort of, there's an insecurity that all of us have in in speaking candidly about these kind of these uh, secret concerns we all have as marketers or founders or, or, or whatever your role may be. But, you know, there's a, there's a real question there. And I think you hit on something really important, which is you're looking for that actionable data, right? How is what I'm doing digitally going to inform, you know, the future of my advertising, the future of my product strategy. And these are super important questions. And, you know, honestly, sometimes, you know, I, I let's just sort of like in generalities, sometimes a strategy of like, let's really iterate our way to success and blanket with a million creatives and variations. You know, you are not doing the scientific method when you do that and, and sort of getting yourself to sort of actionable, improvable insights that you can work on. I, I've done a lot of tests like this where you sort of end up at the end of it and you're like, well, I got a whole bunch of things that kind of worked. And what do you do with that? You know, so I think yeah. it's, it's really important to think, you know, whether it's whether it's sort of other inputs of data with customer surveys or, or other tactics you might do, but also just limit your variables that you're testing and things that you're doing. So you can make sure you're moving the needle and improving as you go, because like you said, 
too much data is like analysis paralysis and, and you're not moving. Totally, totally. I, I just want to give a quick tip uh, on, on creative for our, our listeners out there. The thing that has been proven time and time again, every single time to work on Facebook is not some fancy video, right? Not some like ad that looks like an ad. It's taking whatever worked well on Instagram and Facebook and making it into an ad. It just works every single time. You you got 7,000 likes on this one photo on Instagram and you normally get like 300. Use the 7,000 one and you will make money. Like it's, it's, it really, it's that simple when it comes to picking creative. If, if you have a good social following, like it's never, I don't even know how, how many years I've been doing this, six years or something. And like, it works every single time. <laughs> yeah. You can't give away the secrets like that. Yeah. <laughs> I can. People come, people come to the agency and, and all that sort of stuff, no matter what. So <laughs> you can tell people what to do all they want. Nobody wants to do things. <laughs> that's, that's what we've, that's what we've realized over the years. <laughs> Devin, I want to ask you the question I ask everybody who comes on this podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Oh man, honestly, it's doing the hard work. Like it, it's, it's not uh, I don't think, I think kind of where the undercurrent of what the conversation we've been having is there's no, there is no secret silver bullet. You know, I think there's a lot of things you're going to learn, a lot of challenges you're going to face. Um, and, and to me, you know, if I have to give one little tidbit, I would say, you know, in the last 10 years, the thing that I keep coming back to that's absolutely critical is the culture of your company and the people on your team mm. and having a clear vision of where you're going how you're going to get there and some of the old school kind of just culture goal setting plans and, and executing against that stuff is critical. And, and sometimes, you know, in, in the kind of founder world we live in, there's, there's sometimes this like, you know, other sort of cultural things that get to get a little more pressed than others, let's say, but I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, just an old school approach to building a team, empowering people, giving them clear marching orders and, and letting the talented people on your team do what they got to do to achieve that goal together. And that's super valuable. And I don't know if that's a secret, but I think it's often overlooked, but I do think it's also just a, is a hard thing. If you're looking for a secret, I don't, I don't, I haven't found one yet. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the joke, right? Is there, there's just no secret, right? There's tips and there's wisdom along the way. And, and I feel like you've, you know, you've had enough experience in this world to get that. I think one, one issue that happens with founders is they're incredible, right? Um, founders of these companies are incredible and they think that they can do everything and that they have to be these well-rounded people. And they do at first, right? But as you start to, to, to you know, your revenue goes up, um, you no longer can be that person. And if you are that person, you're going to end up working until midnight every single night trying to do the things that you could potentially hire somebody who's really pointy in that area for. And so I think, I think it is, it's a secret because people, that's why people can't scale right beyond themselves. I think people can get yeah. to that sort of like kind of, you know, million, two million sort of range and yeah, absolutely, absolutely work themselves to the bone. And then it stops because they can't give it up that. So I'm sorry, I'm just reiterating your same point, but I, cause I really right. believe it. Yeah, it's, it's critical. And I honestly, I think, you know, when I've seen things not work or, you know, businesses that have faced challenges or not made it right, it's not because, you know, I mean, maybe it was just a terrible idea to begin with, but then those usually don't get off the ground very well, but it's usually a failure of, of culture in some capacity or team, right? I think people in all kinds of, I mean, you can have people at all levels of the company be extremely passionate about the things they do. 
you know, one thing we haven't talked about yet that I just believe in tremendously, and it's like you talked about post-purchase customer surveys is, is the customer service experience with your company. And some of the best people I've ever worked with and have had on my teams have been the, the people leading customer service. Um, mm. You know, I'd ask Finlayson and Search and State just because it's something that I have believed in elevating to the very top of the business and what we do. As a direct-to-consumer brand, it's really the only time you talk to your customer is when they have a problem. Otherwise, when it goes well, you don't hear from them. So anyway, I just think that empowering people and giving them a clear vision of what their role is and how it contributes to the success of the business you know, and then kind of get out of their way is, is super important. But so hard for people who want to micromanage. It's hard for me. It's hard for anyone. I think, you know, I mean, it just, it just is right. Especially, you know, especially when you're the founder, cause you did all the things, right. You did them all yeah. yourself, you bootstrapped your way. And then all of a sudden, you know, I think, but it's about recognizing the differences between, you know, here's just the way I do things or my personal opinion, but there's another way that's just as good. And then maybe the things that you need to then actually go, no, this is actually critical to the core of this business. And it needs this thing or creative or whatever it needs to be a certain way. You got you to figure out which, which of those things are, are mission critical and which are just differences of opinion. Totally, totally. I, th- I think that some of the most successful people out there are really good at just finding those people. And then putting them in that place of ownership and getting them to own that thing, right? And yes, there are times as a founder and CEO that you just have to walk in and be like, guys, we got to fix this, right? But it's not often and it shouldn't be often. Unless, otherwise, you're hiring the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Very true. We're going to move on to our lightning round here, Devin. I hope you are All right. ready. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite tool or app that you're using right now? This is the lamest answer, but I'm going to go with Instagram, even though I love it and hate it. But I still think Instagram as a platform for research, just immersing yourself in a subculture of any kind is an extremely effective way to develop an understanding of what's going on, what the conversation is. I also think Instagram is still the number one tool for entrepreneurs or you know job seekers or whatever, maybe to reach out and connect with people that you might not be able to get a hold of otherwise. Totally. Pitching media, yeah. pitching brands, pitching businesses, retailers, whatever. People do not check their email, but they do check Instagram all the time. And I still think it's a super effective tool for that. And it's going to be where I think most of your customer feedback and inquiries and customer service things are going to come through. Like that's just sort of where the conversation, at least in the, you know, the businesses I've worked in, you know, Instagram is a critical tool for conversation on all fronts, like customer business development, and then just on the research side. It's a great, great answer. I love it. Favorite podcast or audiobook? So podcast that I listen to most frequently, and I think it's super relevant for this conversation as well, is uh, there's a media company called Meat Eater. I am a, you know, hunter and outdoorsman and fisherman, but uh, Steve Ranella founded this company. He's a, he's an author, just excellent voice in the outdoor world, but, you know, he's built up this media company that is now a phenomenally successful direct-to-consumer business as well, Uh, but he has a great podcast, but this whole idea of um, sort of media first, business second, I think what Meat Eater has built is is, uh, pretty impressive, and they are acquiring brands left and right now to roll up under that. What they built is a megaphone to talk to the entire, you know, segment of the outdoor world that they that they talk to of you know people who hunt and fish and they are just piping brands right into that and just seeing how they do it is a kind of a master class but they've they got those things about content community right first and yeah. then the business model follows 
whether you like it or not, you're building a media company, right? right? Uh, you're either building a good one or a bad one. Like it's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. And so the sooner that you can realize that, the better. I am going to add that to my, uh, first of all, guests that I want to have on and to my podcast listening. So that's wonderful. We'll make sure to put that into the show notes. Uh, Devin, one last question for you here. Uh, if you could sit down with anybody for an hour, have some coffee, tea, beer, wine, who would it be? Oh my goodness. Other than you, of course. Well, you've already, I, yeah, exactly. You, you've already got the, the number one. Let's go with number two. <laughs> Just kidding, oh my people. Goodness. If you're listening. <laughs> Anyone alive. This is, I did not prepare for this question. So this is like, I'm taking this one totally flat footed. Oh my gosh. Anyone alive. I'll tell you, everybody Honestly, says Elon. So. He's you could just say him guy, if you want. But like, I don't know. I listened to the Rogan episode with him. I feel like I, I kind of. I know. Wait, what more do you need? Do you need? What more do you need to know? I'm going to give a sort of, this is, this is the first thing that came to mind, but my grandpa is 91. Uh, he's at the veterans home here in Minnesota. COVID's been tough. I haven't been able to get him out. I would love to sit down and have a beer with him in person and not just do the video chat. Yeah, man. That's, that's uh. my number one. Devin, that's a great answer. That is a great answer. Actually, yeah, I, I have to say, like, I'm not a regrets person, but if if I did have regrets, it would be that I didn't reach out to my grandparents when I have one one grandparent left, and I didn't reach out and learn all of these incredible things about their life. And I think yeah. that's the problem with like in in your early 20s. It's like I just didn't care, or I didn't think. You know, you think you know everything when oh, when yeah. you're that age. <laughs> and now I've got one grandma left who's 92, and I, I see her at least once a week. Because I'm just like, I just want to know. I just want to suck in oh, all man. of this, like the time and the and the wisdom that they have. And I don't know, it's, it, you get to a certain place in life where you're like, ah, oh, I just want to know what you know. And you've like experienced all these things. Yeah, I don't know. I think we maybe are developing a little theme to this conversation, but uh, it all connects for me. And I think that's one thing that's interesting is like, you know, media platforms like this are super valuable to me as an entrepreneur. It's how I learn and discover new things. But I think people also, you know, I hate to admit it, but like sometimes your parents or, you know, grandparents or whoever raised you can sometimes they might not be direct to consumer experts or any of the stuff we do. But when it comes to giving you advice and the challenges you face in your business or career, sometimes going back to those who know you the best uh, mm. can give the best advice. Super true. I've got one book to share. Is that OK? Yes, I, please. I thought of it before and I think it's super relevant for the founder conversation we were having. But um there's a book called The Outsiders, not The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. That was then a movie, but it's kind of got a cheesy title, but it's like eight unconventional CEOs who, you know, had, had a radically different blueprint for success with their business. It's um, William Thorndike is the author. Okay. Um, it's probably, it's a fairly old book, but it really defines the role of CEO in a way that is, I think, extremely valuable. Even if you're at a small stage, it's definitely for, for businesses that are significantly bigger, but I think if you start thinking in that uh, building value mindset and think about yourself as, you know, deciding where your business is going to be investing and growing and where the opportunities are and not thinking about yourself as a role within the day-to-day -day operations of the business specifically mm. and, and a much more of an investor mindset to, to operating a business. And it just one of those things that radically transformed how I thought about business. And again, it's old school, but it's a super valuable book. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Devin. Thanks for your time today. And, and this was yeah. just a really, really great conversation. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you and connect with you? I guess uh, I just going to have to give the Instagram and it's uh, Devin B. O'Brien. 
is my Instagram handle. So I'm out there, DM me. That's the best way to, to chat and start a conversation. I'm getting really fired up hearing from people and hearing about your business. And if I can be a valuable to a uh, value to anyone out there, it's, it's kind of what keeps me motivated on my own stuff. So oh, I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Devin. Yeah, Jordan. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.